Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. In today's episode, we examine how manna in the desert for the Israelites' journey relates to our own identity in Christ. We will discover God is looking to provide for us in more ways than we think, so that we can trust Him completely. Uh, we've been in the midst of this uh, sermon series called Forward in Faith. And if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, I'm, I'm going to try and bring you up to speed as best as I can and as quickly as I possibly can. Essentially, this series, uh, it, we are journeying alongside the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Okay, Their story in Exodus is, is this the most amazing thing. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt, you know this story. Goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh finally lets him go after all the plagues. And you have the Red Sea parting. And then it ends with the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody knows the story of Exodus? And uh, I'll bring you up to speed a little bit more in, in details. But the reality of it is, is that this story actually has a lot to say to our journey ourselves. There are a lot of events in the Exodus that parallel sort of the, the steps of a faithful life. A life that is that follows Jesus, that believes in Jesus, that, that really believes that he died on the cross for our sins and raises us to new life, a life that is not determined by ourselves, but rather determined by his love and his grace. And so the first week we looked at the reality that before Moses even started his journey with the Israelites, God called him. And we started alongside Moses, and we recognize that God has been calling each and every single one of us every day of our lives before we even knew that God existed. God calls each and every person in the world to, to a relationship with him, a relationship that is not, again, defined by ourselves, but defined by the cross. And so the, our life, our journey in faith begins with a calling that we didn't even do. The second week, we looked at whenever the Israelites were released from slavery, from captivity, from Egypt. And we talked a little bit about how the Israelites didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to go to war with Egypt, but rather God, who is the ultimate power in the world, said, you will be free. And all they had to do was trust him and step through the doorway of faith. And they walked. They didn't have to run. They walked out of Egypt and out of slavery. And we talked about our own faith journey, that God, that Jesus offers this life to us Without any conditions, all you have to do is trust him. All you have to do is believe in him and walk through the doorway of faith that he has forgiven your sins and has a life that is better, better than the life that you can do on your own. And that is the deliverance. Today, what we move into is what we call provision. How God provides in a way that we're Sometimes not even expecting. And so today, we're going to look at the other side of the doorway of deliverance, of liberation. Because a lot of times, let's be honest, if you are asked, hey, do you want to believe in Jesus? What's normally the next thing that is talked about? 
what you do, right? What is, a, what is a Christian? What's the difference between yesterday when I didn't believe in Jesus and today that I'm Jesus? Well, you start doing things differently, right? A lot of times we go to the do this and do that and do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. B believe it or not, this is a very, very, well, it's sort of out of line with what God did with the Israelites in Exodus. You'd be really surprised that God doesn't say, okay, I saved you, now here's all the rules. But rather, he did something pretty specific. He is defining what kind of relationship a person of faith can have, a, the Israelites would have with God. And so the next event that we come to, right after Moses is called and he goes through the ten plagues with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, and they go to the Red Sea, and everybody's like freaking out. Oh, no, we're going to die again. And God says, hey, just watch. He parts the Red Sea and he goes through and Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army is wiped out. Power, that power was gone. They were no longer defined by it. And legitimately, the next event where God does something is just a few months after the fact. Now, I want you to think about it. Do you remember, like, if something happened in the past two months that was pretty big, do you, do you think you'd remember it? Yes? No? Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> depends on the kind of thing it would be right this event happens months this is not like years after the fact where there's new generations this is months afterwards and Moses is leading the Israelites into the wilderness now the wilderness in the Middle East is not our wilderness it is not filled with sasquatches and pine trees That's, that's a joke, guys. We, don't, we can't confirm if Sasquatch is alive or not, right? Uh, no, their wilderness is defined by sand. It's defined by the lack of water, the lack of agriculture. There's not a lot of shade. It is desert. And so they go out into the wilderness. And you have to remember, there's thousands of people. This is an entire nation walking through the desert. And they start to realize, um, how much bread do you have? Um, about a sandwich worth left. Oh, this is a problem. How in the world are we going to eat out here in the wilderness where there is not a lot of agriculture, where there's not a lot of water, where there's not a lot of animals? How in the world are we going to survive? And they start doing what every human does whenever, you know, things get a little tight. You start to question things. And just like Americans, they question their leadership. <laughs> Seriously. Like, if you've ever thought, like, man, man, a lot of people rebel against leadership in the country today. It's been happening for thousands of years. It's not a new development. It's been happening for a long time. We're like, hmm, does Moses really know what he's doing? I don't know. And so they come to Moses. And in Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 3, it'll be up on the, on the screen for you. We hear their complaint. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots of cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out into this desert to starve the whole assembly to death. Well, that's quite an accusation, isn't it? You 
You saved us from slavery. You don't know what you don't know what you're doing. You brought us out here to die. Even though two months ago, God showed up in a big and mighty way and parted a body of water that nobody had ever seen before. He had brought ten plagues down onto Egypt. Hail and locusts and just everything they can think of. They have forgotten what God had done for them before. And really, it's not surprising because humans are grumpy when they're hungry. If you've had a teenage boy and they come home from school, guess what? They're not happy because they were hungry two hours ago because teenage boys, Kyle is shaking his head, because teenage boys can eat 5,000 calories every five minutes, right? They get grumpy. And all they could see was the problem. All they could see was, I'm willing to go back to Egypt and enjoy meat and bread. We had at least, yeah, sure, we had to work every day of our lives. Yeah, we were whipped. Yeah, it was terrible. But guess what? At least we had food. They were afraid. They were afraid that they were going to go without what they needed, food. And I think this, this is so true about humans. I think this is so true about humans. Kyle, if you put this up, it's amazing what people will allow or give up for survival. It is amazing to see what people will do if they are afraid of not getting what they need. And we still do it today. I mean, if you really, really think about how we go about our lives daily, if we are lacking food or if we are lacking maybe attention or if we're lacking maybe a fairness like justice you know like this isn't fair what do we do we fight for ourselves we fight for it to be fair we fight in such a way that we will do anything so that we get exactly what we want or what we think we need Because we need to survive. We need to survive. And we're willing to go back to Egypt and be enslaved again, even though they're gone. We're willing to go back to where I used to be. I'm willing to go back to that relationship. I'm willing to go back to doing the things that I've always done. I'm willing to go back because I'm hungry. Because I'm afraid. And I believe this to be incredibly true. That the mode of living, the mode of living that is based on fear is survival. It's the next one there, Kyle. Yeah. Survival is the mode of living based on fear. So what does God do about it? Well, let's continue reading what God does about the complaint, about their fears. Here's what he says. Here's what he says to Moses in verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. 
Oh. Anybody carb lovers? Sounds like a good day, huh? Yeah, amen, right? The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they have collected on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glorious presence, because your complaints against the Lord have been heard. Who are we? Why blame us? Moses continued, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord heard the complaints you made against him. Who are we? Your complaints aren't against us, but against the Lord. Moses is passing the buck a little bit here. Why are you complaining to me? I didn't deliver you. God did. And it's true. God did. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole Israelite community, come near to the Lord because he's heard your complaints. And as Aaron spoke to the whole Israelite community, they turned to look toward the desert. And just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will have your fill of bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So God hears the Israelites. And he comes back and he says, guess what? I'm going to deliver you again. He doesn't really say anything. He doesn't like, shame on you for forgetting me. He just says, I'm going, to, I'm going to provide for you. Okay, here we go. So in the evening, after God says this, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the desert surface were thin flakes, as thin as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Collect as much of it as you can eat. One omer, or two quarts if you want to know what an omer is, per person. You may collect for the number of people in your household. And the Israelites did as Moses said, some collecting more, some collecting less. But when they measured it out by the omer... The ones who had collected more had nothing left over. And the ones who had collected less had no shortage. Everyone collected just as much as they could eat. God not only hears the complaint. He provides food beyond bread. Like, you can live on a number of things. We have There's vegetarians in the world. You can live without meat. But God provides not only just bread, he provides quail. Manna and quail. And they miraculously show up in the evening and in the morning. And every single time people go out to collect this, guess what happens? Even though they think, oh, I'm going to get more this time. Every single time at the end of the day, there's just enough for them and their family. And if the people who didn't, well, I don't need as much, they had their fill of food. Do they deserve this? I mean, they're sort of complaining, aren't they? They're sort of whiners. They're kind of babies. They sort of sound like kids. They sound like a teenager coming home from school at 3 o'clock and they haven't eaten in an hour. Right? 
they deserve it? Probably not. The reality of it is, is that God gives this to the Israelites freely. Just simply, here you go. I'm going to provide for you. He's sort of like a parent. You know, you know, kids can be really, really snotty sometimes. I know, I was, I was snot past two days with my mom was here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, we can be snotty sometimes. And yet, you as a parent, have you ever said, well, I'm definitely going to withhold food so that they don't make it through the night? No, you don't. You're a parent. You're a good parent. You say, I'm, I'm still going to feed you even though I want to ground you for a two-year period. And the reality of this is, is that God providing this manna, this quail, God providing what a human needs, God's provision is an extension of His grace. God's providence is an extension of His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving something that you don't deserve. And God gives them grace. Providential grace or graceful providence, however you would like to say it. Why would he do this? It's very simple. He is showing who he is to the Israelites. He's showing that even though he has all the power of the entire world, he gives a rip about what they eat. He gives a rip about every person being cared for. He doesn't use his power to be a sovereign, mighty king and say, hey, you better, cha you better change your uh, life before I give you some manna. He just says, no, look, I'm going to provide. He's showing the character of love and mercy and grace right here in Exodus to the Israelites. And if you continue reading, he does give some parameters. He says, hey, on the sixth day, gather double. And people are like, why would I gather double? He goes, this is why, okay? On the seventh day, I want you to relax. Kick back. It's not about production. You, for 400 years under Pharaoh, have worked 24-7, 365 days of the year. If their years were 365 days back then, we're not exactly sure how they did years. But in any case, that's besides the point. Every day, they worked. They worked in slavery. And they only received what Egypt was willing to give them. With their feet on their throats, they say, you will get what you get. And if you don't work, you'll get nothing. And God is saying, no, look, look, I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to do anything. In fact, I'm going to give you the entire seventh day to relax, to be, to worship, to understand that the life that I have for you is far greater than what you used to have in Egypt. This is different from what they're used to. And you'll, if you continue to read, there are some people who go out on the seventh day and they're like, where's the manna? 
And Moses is like, uh, did you not follow instructions? This is when you're supposed to relax. I think the other amazing thing about this is that God provides enough manna and quail for every single household to have enough. There's no poor in this nation. There's no rich and there's no poor. Everyone is given what they need. The economy is totally different than what we're used to. We're used to working and getting. The Israelites are used to working and getting, but God in this new life provides. What he's showing is a new life that isn't based on having the fear of going without, the fear of making sure I get A, B, C, and D in order, the fear of I need to get as much as I can no matter what it means for my neighbor. He's showing that life is not about survival. It's not about being in fear, but rather you can trust God to provide exactly what you need. God doesn't want his people to survive. No, no, God wants them to thrive. God gives them a mode of living that is based not on fear, but trust. A life that thrives is a life that is based on trust. You and I get this. Well, we get the survival part. I mean, we see it. We've done it. You and I have looked to alienating people, to getting ahead of somebody else in the world, of getting as much as we can when we can get it. We are not. We still, we still think that survival is the way of doing things. And just think about that. Why do people do terrible things to each other? Why do people lie about one another? Why do people <laughs> cheat the system? Why do people not pay their taxes? Why do people go to Walmart on Black Friday and punch each other for a toy? Why do marriages end when a spouse decides to go to another person or a computer screen? Why are we unfair when we disagree with one another? Why does racism and prejudice still exist in the world? Because quite honestly, we still trust our instinctual fear. Because we need to survive. It's about me. It's about my home. It's about my family. And I will do whatever it takes to survive. I will do whatever it takes, whether it means I sell my soul or I stop actually living a moral life to do what I need to do. 
And it all comes from the fear of living without. It all comes from the fear of maybe not having as much as what we would like to have. It comes back to the fear that somebody might have a better life than us. It comes back to that mode of living based on fear, which we call survival. And you know what we're willing to do to survive? We're willing to sin. We're willing to do whatever it takes to hurt somebody else, to hurt ourselves, to hurt our spouses or our families or whichever it might be to get what we think we deserve. We get it. We understand how the Israelites feel. So what does the Israelites' story have to do with our own life of faith? Well, as I said, we're stepping through the doorway of that deliverance, of that liberation. And so God is showing us, and as he showed the Israelites, that it's not about everything that you do immediately, but rather it's about understanding the relationship that he is giving to you. And I think Jesus, I mean, he was sort of a genius, if you didn't know this. But Jesus told us exactly what our relationship with God is to be like. In John chapter 6, beginning with verse 28, you'll read these words. And here's the coolest thing about this. is like You're going to be like, oh, I get this all of a sudden. John 6, this is right after he feeds 5,000 people. This is right after he walks on the water and he tells Peter, hey, trust me. And this is what he says. Well, rather, they ask him something. They ask, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? In other words, hey, God, or hey, Jesus, how do we follow you? How do we, how do we live a life of faith? How do we go forward from accepting your forgiveness and your love and living a new life? How do we do this? And this is what Jesus replied. This is what God requires, that you believe in him who God sent. Guess what? That wasn't enough for them, as usual, right? They asked, what miraculous sign will you do that we could see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus tells them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still don't believe. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me. And I won't send away anyone who comes to me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I won't lose anything he has given me, but I will raise it up at the last day. This is my Father's will, 
that all who see the Son and believe in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. People are thinking, oh, He's going to provide real bread. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. When you believe in me, I will provide for you. Even if it means that you die, guess what? You still live. But even until the day that you die, I am with you and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I am going to watch over you and give to you. You will have enough. And then all of a sudden, Maybe something in the back of your mind, you're reminded that Jesus taught his disciples to pray to who? Our heavenly Father. The God of the Israelites is not the God of the Israelites any longer. He is the God of all of us. And if you believe in him and you believe, ooh, if you believe in his son, the bread of life, he will provide for You, you are a child of God and you will be given something. And his people who understand that they are children of God will have enough and will seek, hopefully, that everybody else around them has enough. You ever wondered why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow? But I got this going on. It's because he comes from the exact perspective that God provides quail and manna to every single one of us. It's not literal. If you go out and look at your dew in the morning, it's just wet. It is not bread. But rather, God is sharing simply that he has provided every single one of his children. If you believe in him, He has provided you with exactly what you need. What we can really learn from this is this. Kyle, if you show this. Providence is the work of God that gives us the worldview that we don't have to worry about tomorrow because He is ultimately the one who provides. Friends, you and I have been adopted by the God who created this world and who has saved this world. And I get it. Adopted kids have a hard time sometimes seeing their parents as parents. But the reality of it is their parents love them dearly. God has adopted each and every single one of us so that we can live the life that he wants for us. God's next move after, being, after, after delivering us isn't to give us the do's and don'ts. God's next move is providing for us so that we can begin to live into the life that he wants for us. And so many people forget this. Everybody talks about the cross. It's like, your sins are forgiven. Great, great. Now don't do this. You're missing out a whole entire part of the life that Jesus has said that you're going to have. He's the bread of heaven. He has given you talents and abilities. He has given you family. He has given you the job that you have. He has given you everything in your life. 
And what are you doing with it? Are you just simply saying, it's mine, it's my abilities, it's my job, it's my family, and we hold on tightly and we begin to fight for it, forgetting that it actually belongs to God in the very first place. Because if you're fighting for it, guess who you're fighting? You're not, you're, not, you're, not just, you're not fighting yourself. You are fighting God and you are fighting every person around you. And guess what? You will make enemies and you will not be able to live a life of love. Period. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, that sounds so great. It sounds so impossible. It's not impossible if you see everything in your life that comes from God. Now, bad news, you still have to work. You do. But God has given you that ability to work. God has given you that. And I get it. Not all of us are in jobs. Like some of us are really going through a hard time right now. And this is a really hard thing to hear. But God is with you. God is going to provide for you. Trust in him. Just wait to see what he's going to do next. Yes, still go to work. Still be smart about financial decisions. Well, God's going to provide me. I'm going to go grab a jet plane. No, no, no. None of you need a jet plane. God will provide what you need. Trust him. Trust him. He doesn't want you to just survive. He wants you to thrive. Have you ever wondered why people in Wall Street, whenever the, the, the Dow goes south 6,000 points, look to other means of getting out of life? Do you remember the financial crisis of 2007, 2008? People's security... They thought they were going to go without, even though they had a crap ton of money. That's the most unbelievable part about it. But it was enough to say, I need to end this. I'm not going to make it. I might as well just get out of here. When we put our trust in anything other than God, we will fear something. It doesn't just have to be money. When we put our trust in, in a medication, if we put our trust in a drink, if we put our trust in, in making ourselves look better, if we put our trust, and by the way, when you make yourself look better, if you begin to make lies of yourselves, you know why serial liars don't stop lying? Because they have built such a big, big persona of themselves that to tell the truth for once in their lives would allow their entire reputation to crumble. I put trust in my defense mechanisms. I put trust in the walls that I put up for other people. I put trust in violence rather than loving people who are different from me and maybe don't want what's best for me. I trust the government. I trust this person who is just totally toxic. I trust all these things. 
instead of trusting God. Trusting anything else in this world will only lead to fear in the mode of survival. Now, if you're a person here, maybe you've been considering faith. You've been trying to understand what God has for you. Maybe you've still been struggling you know, with even the concept of God. I'm here to tell you something. God exists because Jesus Christ did come and he died for you. and He rose again from the dead and he's coming back. That's not to scare you. That's a good thing. He's coming back. He's going to make all things new. But if you are really trying to get everything in line, trying to understand how faith works, I want you to know something, okay? Faith, going forward in faith, walking through that doorway and then beginning a new life, means letting go of the things that you hold dearest to you, that you feel like that you're most afraid to live without. It's really what it is. And if it is, if it's money or if it's houses or if it's social stature or if it's whatever it might be, maybe your fear of being alone, maybe you're afraid of whichever. God's life, God's providence doesn't gauge life by what you're afraid of. It doesn't gauge life by what the rest of the world gauges life like. Yeah, you, if you follow God, you might not have the richest life possible. Because you have a conviction to say, hey, I, I want to give to others who are in need. And instead of saying, hey, I get all the millions of dollars in the entire world for myself, you say, man, I can do a lot for people. Maybe you aren't the most successful person in the world and do whatever it takes to get to the top. That's okay. God's life isn't defined by success. It's not defined by money. It's not defined by all the things that we talk about. Bigger, better, stronger, faster. Rather, God's life for us is gauged by the love we have, by the peace that we keep in the most difficult times, by the joy that we have of just accepting today as a gift. It's far more intangible. There's not numbers to be put on this. It's only seen in your life. And the reality of it is, is that if you trust God to provide for you, those things will begin to increase in your life like you've never thought possible. Love, hope, peace, joy. But to do that, you have to trust Him. You have to trust that God wants what's best from you. That he's not holding back from you. But rather is giving you exactly what you need. For the person who has faith already, what are you afraid of losing still? 
Because there's a lot of people who walk through the doorway of faith and they never, ever let go of fears to God. They don't trust that God's going to provide in a certain way. And before you know it, they're do people do things. You want to know why the church is so messy? Because people are afraid of letting go of things still. That's why we come here and we say, let it go. And we watch Frozen again. We say, let it go. Trust God. He's put people, he's put circumstances, he's put resources in your life. He's got you. That's what the church is about. You ever think about, well, like, if I let go of things and people just, they don't like the fact that I'm a Christian anymore, what am I going to do? Guess what? Look at all the people around you. Look, seriously, look around the people around you. They're not mean. They can be your friends. They could be your support system. They could be your place of connection. God provides exactly what... Guess what? You know what the church does best? When somebody in the church says, guess what? I don't have enough right now. The church sits down and says, hey, let's take care of this family. And they go get groceries for them or they go and pay their bills for them. That's what the church is designed to do. It's what we try to do. So what are you holding on to? Pride? Holding on to fear of national security? Are you holding on to fear of looking bad? Are you afraid of that you're not getting enough attention from your spouse? Are you afraid what your kids are going to turn into? They're a gift. Everybody in your life is a gift. Treat them with love and kindness. Give them hope. Be joyful. And even when things are looking tough, guess what? You will have peace. There's no reason to fight. Just trust. After all, he's dad. And he's going to give us a snack an hour after lunch when we're complaining. It might not be the, the snack that we want. It might be carrots, but <laughs> carrots are still good for you. God knows your needs, friends. You can trust him. And guess what? God does it this, in this order because he wants you to trust him before what comes next. Because the reality of it is, if we believe in God but don't trust him, we will continue to our, our same lives. We will continue to sin. We will continue not to care about our neighbors. We will continue to allow injustice to roam throughout the entire world. We won't care about anybody except ourselves. And if your faith is only about yourself, you're doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. God does this so that we can begin to live lives of love and holiness. Show that last slide there, Kyle. 
To really be willing to live a life of love, one that is defined by God, one has to be relieved of the fears that keep us living the same way we always have. Man, I want to love everybody. If you fear them, you'll never love them. You've got to give your fear to God and trust Him. Because guess what? He provides quail. He provides manna. He provides just enough. In reality, he provides more than enough. So what's keeping you from making that next step forward in faith? What fear have you not given to God? Maybe today's the day to give it up. Because you'll be amazed at what God will do through you in the next step forward in faith if you just give your fears to Him and trust that He's going to provide for you. Thank you for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, visit us at championnaz.org.